Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is from our general topics arena, where we aim to provide information to help patients, the general public, and healthcare professionals better understand a topic of importance. Today's episode will focus on how to optimize use of telemedicine to help patients with allergic conditions. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Jennifer Shi, who is an assistant professor of pediatrics and medicine and medical director of allergy and immunology in the Division of Pulmonology, Allergy Immunology, Cystic Fibrosis, and Sleep at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Shi is a member of the Health Informatics, Technology, and Education Committee of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, and has extensive experience in implementing telemedicine programs, as well as educating allergists and medical professionals surrounding this process. Dr. Shi, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate you having me. Well, this, I think this is going to be very helpful and, and very timely. Speaking of which, we are currently recording this in early April 2020, and we are in the midst of a global COVID-19 pandemic. So the first question I have for you, how are you holding up? Well, um, we're holding up pretty well. Um, you know, we're doing our best um, and adjusting to our new normal during this pandemic both personally and professionally. Um, you know, personally, as I think many of us are doing, we are utilizing virtual schooling for our children. And I'm certainly doing that with my twins. And professionally as a physician, we're having to pivot quickly to a different way we see patients with virtual visits. And so the world of telemedicine has certainly grown exponentially just in the past two to three weeks. Yeah, and we're going to talk a lot about that. It really is amazing how fast this has advanced um, and and changed. How old are your twins? Uh, They just turned eight years old. Okay, so somewhat independent. My children are seven and ten, and yet you still need some supervision. So how how have you navigated uh, your professional responsibilities with some of the the remote virtual learning? Are you still figuring it out as we go? Yeah, it's gotten better, of course, over time. they are getting better at the technology. I didn't really want them to have iPads this early, but now they have their own iPads um, so that they can, uh, you know, navigate their lectures themselves. And so they are getting better at technology, but you're right. They're at an age that you still need to supervise some. Yeah. Well, so let, let's get into some basics. Um, describe to us, what, is, what do you mean when we say the word telemedicine? What does that actually refer to? Right. So telemedicine, that word actually literally means distance healing. And so um, I do want to go through a little bit of some uh, glossary words, basically, because people throw the term around telemedicine. But really what it means is seeing a patient through electronic communications 
um, that would be similar to face-to-face visits. But there's also the term telehealth that some people may have heard of, and that really refers to the broader scope of remote health care um, other than telemedicine, such as non-clinical services, um, that could be provider training, that could be administrative meetings, CME, or any other services in that manner. And then there's also the term mHealth. And so that refers to mobile-based or mobile-enhanced ways to deliver healthcare. So those are kind of some terminology to sort of clarify what those things mean. So specific for telemedicine, there are different types that people were unaware of that. And those types are synchronous and asynchronous. The synchronous means you are seeing the patient in real time. That telemedicine visit is occurring live in real time. And then asynchronous is offline, not during a real-time visit. For example, teleradiology has been in practice for a long time, and those are typically asynchronous. An image is performed, sent to the radiologist, and read at a later time from when the image is done. So that's asynchronous. And then under synchronous visits, which really fits our field best, um, you have non-facilitated and facilitated type visits. A facilitated visit is there's an actual facilitator person at the originating site where the patient is who helps literally facilitate the visit and helps with the physical exam and things like that. The non-facilitated type is where there's not someone with the patient, and so you don't have someone there helping with the physical exam or other things in person. So that's fantastic background. And as you as you explain all of that, I couldn't help but think, for those of us who've done telephone triage or ever called a patient on the phone, in essence, that's telemedicine on some way, shape, or form, correct? Absolutely. So the telephone visit, you know, we all have done that prior to our current situation where you call and have a discussion with the patient about something about their visit or their labs or, you know, things like that. And some of the issues before was reimbursement for those types of visits. In our current situation, some of those regulations have been relaxed, and you can actually bill for those types of visits, too, that are considered audio-only telemedicine visits. Mm, Yeah, so I think as people try to think through the logistics and the technology, I know the, the whole technology aspect can be very daunting for a lot of folks not used to it. But trying to keep that perspective of, you know, this is really something that we've done um, for all of our careers. It's just adapting to a new platform. That's right. Now, you, you mentioned this in your description, but walk us through and describe why allergy and immunology is such a great specialty for implementing telemedicine. Right. I did mention it. It is a good way for us to see patients as allergists. So, you know, a lot of our field is consultative. Um, especially in immunology. Um, A large portion of that is consultative. Uh, So that works quite well for a telemedicine type of visit. Um, And additionally, you can also utilize peripheral devices. So if you want spirometry, there are peripheral devices available for that. The other way to do it would be to order a PFT at an 
at the local hospital or, or somewhere else that they could get prior to your visit, and then you could review those results with them as well. You could also do the same thing, which is what I do in my telemedicine clinic, is to order allergen sensitivities via the lab and then go over those in that manner. And actually, there was um, an article that did skin testing because you think, I can't do skin testing via telemedicine. But in May of 2018, there was a paper on doing penicillin testing via telemedicine. Now, this was patients that were in the hospital that they utilized it on, but it was done via telemedicine. So there are ways to do that potentially within our field. Um, and I think that it's also great because it offers convenience for your patients, which a lot of them want. Um, it can offer lower overhead for the physician's practice, and it gives access the patients as well who may not be able to um, drive a long distance to see you. So it kind of expands your um, patient population. And then, of course, in our current state, it's really a necessity for safety right now. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The last one about we've, we've been forced to adopt a lot of these measures. Um, that's fantastic. I agree. There's you know, so many aspects to our specialty. Plus the other, you know, we, we know these patients for years and years and years because they have these chronic conditions. Uh, and this is a great way to kind of just follow up with them and touch base and, and see if we can provide any assistance if things flare up. Now, what are some of the challenges that any medical provider faces when they're, you know, initially setting up a telemedicine program? Right. Well, you know, prior to our current pandemic, there were a lot of regulations and issues with reimbursement that varied state to state. Um, also, what I found was people kind of had aversion to committing to a particular telemedicine platform and um, having that sort of commitment um, in their practice if they weren't sure they were going to like it or not. And so that was also a barrier that I would see as I, you know, would give talks around the country and stuff too and get questions back during those talks. And so currently, though, with this landscape that we have now with the drastic changes that have occurred, um, I think it was Albert Einstein who said, necessity is the mother of all invention. And so mm -hmm. here we are now, we have this necessity to see patients in a different manner. And so, you know, many of us that are active in the telemedicine world have always talked about it being an innovative disruptor. And it truly is. And it will be interesting to see after all of this pandemic where this goes, because it should, it seems it will forever change the way we practice medicine kind of like a new health call. And so now in this time, a lot of those barriers that we had before have been relaxed. And, you know, they say it's during this emergent time, but it'll be interesting to see how much of it stays around after the pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of the pandemic, how has this really, you know, forced us to rapidly evolve to telemedicine? You mentioned the safety aspect, but how can telemedicine really help with, with that aspect of things? Um, well, again, before the pandemic and the, this need now for social distancing, 
um, there's a lot of interest there, but not a lot of allergists specifically actually doing it. In fact, um, JAMA put out an article in January 2019 that showed only 6.1% of allergists were actually performing telemedicine. Mm. So again, that necessity during this pandemic has forced physicians to pivot quickly and see these patients in a different way and have that acceptance that has been poured out of this necessity. And it's interesting to see after this, you know, what will happen. I have talked to a few people around the country um, just to see how things are going. And even um, you know, one of um, Dr. Mehta, who is in New Orleans, who I am friends with, he was already utilizing telemedicine within her practice prior to the pandemic. But she even had to pivot and change her flow of her practice, you know, during the pandemic and the way she was doing her telemedicine too. So that's been a big change for her and maybe taking a little more time than she expected as well. And then in our own academic practice, I was the only one in our group performing telemedicine, but we've even changed the way we're doing that. So we are utilizing another platform on the adult side and then starting a new platform on the PED side actually this week. So, you know, even if people were already in telemedicine, they've had to change the way their flow is and, and the way they're performing clinic. How long have you personally been using telemedicine for patient care? Um, I started in uh, about three years ago and I started the clinic um, really for, more for access because I see my patients in that particular clinic that are in rural areas of Georgia. Mm, okay. That that makes a lot of sense for those rural areas to improve their access to care. Right. Now, exactly. As, as we get patients up to speed as well, because there's, there's two sides of this. Um, let's pretend that you're a patient whose physician has switched to telemedicine. What are some of the key elements that, you know, they should be doing to prepare for their visit? Yeah, great question. And interestingly enough, I had my first telemedicine visit as the patient this morning. So um, it actually went very smoothly. They did a great job and they just started um, performing telemedicine um, during this time. They had not been doing telemedicine before. But things that are important for the patient to remember is that you want to think about some of this before the actual appointment. Do you want to think about what device are you going to use? Are you going to use your smartphone, a laptop, desktop computer, or a tablet? And then what type of device is it? Is it PC, Apple, Android? Because some platforms don't um, work with certain types of devices. And so um, that's something to really think about and let your provider know ahead of time. You also want to ask questions about the setup ahead of time um, of the appointment um, and see if there's sort of a backup plan, for instance. So let's say the technology is not going well or the visit seems very choppy. Um, are they going to switch to a telephone visit or audio only? Or are they going to utilize something like FaceTime, which you can do during this time? You also want to make sure you have a contact phone number for if there is an issue. 
so that you're not, you know, just lost if the call drops or the visit drops. You want to be able to contact somebody with problem. I think it's also important for a patient to fill out any paperwork that's sent to you ahead of time because it'll make the visit go more smoothly if you fill that out ahead of time. Also, um, the way a lot of people are performing telemedicine during this pandemic is that they, um, you know, you're not coming in and seeing a medical assistant who's taking your vitals. And so if mm. you have a thermometer, or a blood pressure cuff at home, electronic ones also have a heart rate on it generally, or a scale where you can take your weight. Those are all things you can do prior to your appointment and give some objective information to your provider. And then, of course, write down any questions you have before an appointment. You're going to be, as a patient, trying to fiddle around with new technology and maybe something you're not used to. And so you don't want to forget the things that you're there to talk about. So it's good to write those questions down before the appointment. And then one thing that I've heard from other allergists during this time that are utilizing telemedicine is that it's important to let the patients know that this is like a face-to-face visit. And so you will still have a copay, and that may also be the case for a telephone visit. So I think having a front expectation um, for the patients and the patients to understand that is important as well. And then have fun. And you've been, That's the other thing. Oh, yeah. I like that. Have fun. Yeah. Do you, and do you recommend, you know, um, being in a well-lit sort of quiet area of the home or wherever they are as well? Sure, of course. Um, you want to be in a place that, you know, you can actually hear your provider giving you instructions and the visit and not have a lot of um, distractions in the background um, if possible because it'll go better that way. Hmm. You mentioned you've been doing this for a few years now. Do you have any, like, a frequently asked question document or sort of prep work that you, you offer to patients before that sort of summarizes some of these different issues? And or how do you handle that with new patients? Well, I do think that that's something important to have. We have a consent um, ahead of time. They get a letter um, talking about what the visit will be like. Um, for mine, because of my state regulations prior to this pandemic, we had facilitated visits only then. Now we don't, but <laughs> then we did. And so a lot of that, I was lucky enough to have staff to be able to relay some of that uh, before they came onto the uh, camera with me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that the whole facilitated versus non-facilitated, that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, now, what about on the other side? So what are the things that you recommend or some of the central elements that medical professionals need to do to prepare for their visit with their patients? Not just, you know, with setting things up for their practice, but actually day of or just prior to their visit. What are some of those elements? Yeah, so um, it's really important, again, I think, and to prepare ahead of time. Um, so you want to make sure you set up equipment ahead of time, uh, make sure your camera is working appropriately. Uh, making sure whatever platform you're utilizing also is working well. Um, you want to make sure you have enough bandwidth and a reliable internet connection. And it's funny, um, we started doing this from home 
a couple weeks ago. And so my husband also closed, you know, the physical practice down and started doing telemedicine from home. The twins were doing virtual learning, streaming lectures from home. <laughs> so we had a lot of, you know, um, issues with our bandwidth hmm. and Chad's visits were a little choppy. And so we actually, within 24 hours, changed a different internet provider with faster speeds ah. <laughs> as well. So, you know, those are things you want to check ahead of time too, um, ideally. And then um, you want to make sure you're also in a place, um, more importantly from the provider side, that has sufficient privacy to protect the patient's health information. So again, somewhere quiet, um, somewhere where your background is not distracting, um, that they will see as they see your face and it's behind you. Um, and again, somewhere quiet as well. You also want to um, dress appropriately. You know, we're all used to maybe sing around our jammies during this time, <laughs> but you know, you want to at least from the waist up <laughs> look professional. You know, we want to maintain a professional manner and professionalism and get good quality of care still to our patients. And I think, you know, sometimes you get lulled into, you know, the being at home kind of thing. But you do want to make sure you are dressed, you know, um, appropriately as well. And I do say that you want to be cognizant of setting your camera up at the height of your eye level because when you're looking at the screen essentially, or maybe not totally looking at the screen because you're typing at the same time. If it's at eye level, it still appears on the other side that you're having eye contact with the patient. And so I think that's important and a small detail that will still make the patient feel connected to you. And so that's something you can do with your camera um, when you're utilizing it. And then also you wanna make sure that you are aware of what your facial expressions are because you have to remember what they're seeing now is your huge face on whatever device they're using and so your your face is taking up the whole screen so any lift of the eyebrow or facial expression is going to be magnified and so you want to have a, a nice website manner and make sure that you're maintaining you know proper facial um, expressions as well, even if they say something crazy, <laughs> you, you would you know, <laughs> not make a face because they will certainly see that where it's different in a face-to-face -face visit because I know in some of my rooms, my back is to them as I'm typing on the computer, you know, so they don't really see mm -hmm. all of that. So you want to be cognizant of those things as well. And then I think for flow, it's important to think through that as well. So, you know, are you going to have if you have the ability to have staff call ahead of time, like a few days ahead of time, get the patient set up, are you going to just call right before or call, have your staff call a few minutes before? Are you going to have them obtain some vital signs with home devices that the patient may have or get other information like um, the medications and that kind of thing and allergies before you come on to the screen? Those are all things to think about within your flow as well. And then, um, again, do have fun with it. Hmm. Those are fantastic tips. Uh, just the, the practical aspect of these things that you don't think about um, when you're just kind of 
getting in the rhythm of things or setting it up initially. So that's I really appreciate you sharing that with all of us. Um, I learned a lot just by, by hearing you talk about that. That's great. Now, um, now that you sort of set the stage and you've given us wonderful background about what telemedicine is and what the patients need to think about on their end and the providers need to think about on their end, uh, let's pretend that you're, you know, conducting a typical telemedicine visit with a patient who has asthma. What would that look like? Yeah, so, you know, the great number of our patients that we see, um, it really is similar to the way you would do it in a a face-to-face visit or actually any of the other visits. You want to have them, quote unquote, come into the room, which would be on the screen, and you want to make sure you have in consent. Not all states require that, but I always think it's a good idea, and it's an opportunity for you to explain you know, what's sort of about to happen to you um, during the visit. You want to make sure you obtain any sort of pulmonary function test or spirometry or labs or anything that has um, happened prior so that you can review that with them. And of course, obtain all histories as well, as you would in a face-to-face visit. And um, of course, your HPI, asking pertinent questions to their severity and control of their asthma. And then you can have a physical exam, even if you don't have a facilitator, you can observe how they're, how they're breathing. You can observe any difficulty in breathing in younger patients, if there's nasal flaring, shortness of breath. Often, if there's uncontrolled asthma, if you have them take deep breaths in, they'll tend to cough if they're not well mm. controlled too. So some things that you can actually do for a, you know, maybe not, um, the same type of physical exam you would do in person, but you can get information that way. And then you want to review with the patient their labs, pulmonary function tests, barometry, anything that you need to go over with them. You can e-prescribe medications, labs, any imaging that you need as well. You can also, if you don't have the ability and what you're utilizing e-prescribe, you can always um, do old-fashioned calling or paper um, orders that you can mail the patient as well. And then you want to review the treatment plan and discharge instructions as you would in a face-to-face visit, including a follow-up appointment and include an asthma action plan as well. And then you'll document all of that just as you would in a face-to-face visit. And most of us are utilizing an EMR, and that's where you would document that as well. Mm. So really, it's just like seeing somebody in the office, um, but, you know, you're looking through a a camera as opposed to being there physically with them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it really is that simple. That's great. Um, Anything in particular with the documentation that that needs to be included? And that may vary state by state, but in general, are there specific, you know, elements that somebody has to put if they're doing an encounter by telemedicine? Right. So if you're going to bill by time, um, I do recommend putting in that time that you utilize, you know, seeing the patient. Um, you can also put a time statement in um, about more than 50% of the time was utilized, you know, in the care coordination of this patient. Something in that manner um, is also helpful when you go to bills, you're billing by the time only. Um, there's also modifiers that can be utilized and a place of care, but those things in this pandemic have also changed some. And so um, 
there are resources that you can go to, especially on the Quad AI website on some of these changes, especially with CMS. Okay. Yeah, well, and we'll talk about that in just a second as well. Um, mm-hmm. No, you know, personally, uh, we started using telemedicine at my institution three weeks ago, which was we've been talking about it for a while and planning for it for the very near future. But with the COVID-19 pandemic, it just put everything into hyperdrive. Uh, right. And so far, I love it. I, it's fantastic. I, I've had it. I think it's it's a great way to, uh, especially for follow up patients where you've gotten to know them over you know a course of years. You can touch base. Yeah. You can still provide care. And my patients seem to be happy as well. So let me ask you, what do you love about telemedicine? You're a you're a strong proponent, and you're you know out there educating others about this. So what do you love about it? And then can you describe some of the benefits? Yeah. So, you know, I started telemedicine for really selfish and unselfish reasons. Um, I had a heart transplant, so I'm in the compromise, and so I that's sort of the selfish reason that I kind of pushed to start it. Um, at my institution uh, for allergy um, because it, for me, would give me less face-to-face time and potential risk for infection for myself. So, yeah, um, it was a little selfish on my part. But also, um, I think most of us as physicians, you know, went into the field of medicine because we want to help people. We want to do the best for our patients. And that means not only just the care, medical care, but also offering them things like convenience, access. Telemedicine can offer cost reductions for the patient because they don't have to drive as far. They don't have to miss work as much to go through the whole process of seeing you in person. Um, They can pop on their computer at work during lunchtime and see you potentially. Mm. So there's, there's also cost savings for the patient in the form of not missing work or not missing school. Also, you know, outcomes, there is an article written, um, Dr. Portnoy was the lead author on that one, that showed asthma had an outcome similar to a face-to-face visit. We also know and can extrapolate from other um, written articles that patients with chronic diseases often have better outcomes if they have as specialists caring for them. And so um, being able to do that for patients that maybe aren't able to come to see you in the office as often as you like, like, for example, I have service success case where there's a very severe asthmatic and he had been intubated three times before he's in middle school. And I started seeing him via telemedicine because he lives four hours away from our severe asthma clinic. And so he wasn't able to make those appointments. But via telemed, I could see him once a month. Now he's in high school, plays basketball, corrects his mother on how to take medications. And so mm-hmm. it's quite a success story um, for his outcome, at least. And then there are a lot of things that show that patient satisfactions at least the same or higher via telemedicine visits versus face-to-face visits. So those are all, I think, great benefits that patients want. And I think it's our job to offer these things to them. No, it's great. And I love how you point out the body of literature surrounding this, especially with our specialty in asthma in particular, where we know that there are, you know, 
it's been demonstrated to offer both um, the acceptability and feasibility of it, but also the clinical outcomes as well. So I think that that's a, that's a strong selling point for anybody who may be on the fence regarding that. Now, there's always downsides. So what are the downsides of using telemedicine, and are there some ways to overcome them? Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned some of the technology. Uh, that, that can be an issue, um, but obviously there are ways to try to fix those things. Uh, you want to make sure whatever platform you use, that they have a good helpline for their IT as well. Um, licensing can be an issue um, because it's difficult to get an individual license and costly um, at different, you know, several different states. There is some reciprocity currently, but I do expect that to grow as um, telemedicine becomes more and more widespread. I believe that there'll be more reciprocity between different states for specifically telemedicine, and that'll help in that way so that you can see patients across state lines potentially. And then, um, you know, we want to make sure that you maintain the privacy, confidentiality, and security um, when you're seeing a patient. And so those are all important things to keep in mind and remain HIPAA compliant as well. Um, I know during this pandemic, um, some of those things have relaxed currently, um, but I'm sure those particular things will, will change back as we um, come out of the pandemic. And then also, you know, with regulations and reimbursement issues, Depending on how this goes during the pandemic, you know, again, they're more relaxed now, but prior to this, that was a big barrier, um, depending on what state you're in. And so hopefully legislation will continue to catch up to our technology as we move forward. And then mm -hmm. another thing that's, I think, concerning for some people is sort of that physician-patient relationship that maybe some people feel they won't be able to maintain that well over an electronic device. But I do feel like, you know, in our day and age today, people are really used to and will become even more used to um, interacting with others during this pandemic via this type of format. You know, people already are FaceTiming, Google Duoing, um, Skyping, WhatsApping before all of this. And so, um, I do think that people are familiar with it and are okay doing that and still feel a connection um, via an electronic device because that's just the way um, things are now with our technology. And so I think it's important, though, to continue to, you know, have that relationship, even though it's through an electronic device um, as the physician and always, of course, maintain our quality of care that we want to for our field. No, absolutely. And, you know, I've noticed it's interesting, some of my um, adolescent patients, um, you know, in the office setting, teens today are, are really not used to having, you know, direct eye contact and personal conversations. They interact by texting and, you know, all their social media apps and things like that. But they seem more comfortable uh, when I when I talk to them on the computer and through video than sometimes in the office setting. You know, you go to the office and it's a sterile environment and you're sitting in a cold waiting room and you're just, you know, sitting there with nothing to do while you wait for the doctor to walk in. But um, it seems like some people may actually do a lot better with this format and just open up even more. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that my you know teenage patients as well, they're more comfortable with this 
way of seeing them. I, I even give them high fives over the camera, you know, put my hand <laughs> to the camera as a high five and they'll walk over to the screen, you know, do the same. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they, I think, are more comfortable than us older allergists, you know, are at, um, interacting in this way. Yeah, that's great. Um, now, I know there's a caveat of this is a, a rapidly evolving situation in regards to reimbursement and coding and billing and things like that. Um, but in general, do insurance companies cover telemedicine visits as they would a traditional office visit? Um, the answer is maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but before this, um, there were parity of pay laws passed in most of our states, uh, but not all of them. Um, currently in this situation, there's parity across all states. Um, will that stay the same? I don't know. You know, we'll have to see. Um, my personal feeling is some of these things will stay because people will utilize this and want to continue to utilize it, um, both from the patient side and the provider side. So we will see, but yeah, I guess the answer is maybe <laughs> for right now. Um, no, that, I think that's a good answer. I, I think it's an honest answer. Um, so, it, again, it goes back to what you said before of making sure that patients, you clarify with their you know, their insurance carrier about co-payments and what's covered and what's not covered before you, you get into this agreement. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot, but nobody listening, including myself, will hold you to this. Let's get your crystal <laughs> ball out. Yes. Dust off your crystal ball, Okay. Uh, yeah, got we've it. all gotten through the COVID-19 pandemic and we're allowed to see each other in public while we may never shake hands or hug each other again. <laughs> um, we're going <laughs> right. to, we're going to get back to or life. Faces. Yeah, at, <laughs> right, right. On some level. Um, where do you see telemedicine going from here? Are we just going to go back to where things were three weeks ago or do you think it's going to get, it's going to just take off even further? Um, you know, I think that again, the necessity has is here and it has made people now commit to doing it and it sounds like talking to other people across the nation that there's a little bit of um you know difficulty when you're first starting out because it's, it's something new and very different from what most people are used to in seeing patients and so maybe it's taking them a little bit longer to see a patient than it would have before. But as people get used to doing it and do it on a more regular basis, that will change because studies have shown generally, and I know this is the same in my clinic, um, the telemedicine visits generally actually are shorter and more efficient than face-to-face -face visits. So mm -hmm. I feel that this innovative disruptor is here and it will now forever change our field. And realistically, we'll come out of the pandemic and we'll flatten the curve, but we're still going to have to maintain some, you know, safety issues, probably still wear masks. If you go back to your regular face-to-face -face clinic, you still may have your temperature taken as you go into work you're still going to be monitoring so this is going to still be around essentially for a while i think and so that necessity is still going to be there potentially and some patients 
you know, they may be afraid to go. Even once you say you can start seeing people, mm-hmm. I, I feel there will be people who won't want to go to a clinic, won't want to go into the hospital if they don't have to. So they'll demand to have this type of visit available to them. And if it's not, they may change to a different provider who does. So I do feel it's here and it's here to stay yeah. and, and we'll adapt to it as we have. Oh, I appreciate you you sharing your perspective. Um, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I think that there was a, a sizable contingent of uh, our colleagues who have been thinking about telemedicine and whether it was trepidation from a psychological aspect of I can't deal with the technology or the, the true logistical challenges of reimbursement of the technology behind it. It was like a lot of us were sort of on the the, the the really high diving board standing on the edge saying, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, and now we've all just been shoved into the deep end. Um, and now that we're in there, <laughs> we realize it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> That's right. Sink or swim. <laughs> and I think yeah, people right, are yeah. swimming. Yeah. yeah, I think some of us really like swimming. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, well, you know, this has been an outstanding conversation, and I really think it's going to provide a lot of valuable, you know, personal sort of uh, perspective to people thinking about telemedicine and some of these these hurdles. But um, can you steer anybody who's listening uh, to some online resources so they can follow up on some of the important points that you touched upon or so they can learn more? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, currently the field is changing so quickly. Um, that I would steer people to um, the Quad AI advocacy portion of the website. They've been doing a really great job. They post new things like about every two days that a lot have to do with telemedicine. Um, In fact, they have a link to the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act, which talks about provisions related to telehealth or Medicare. They also have a link to the Coronavirus Aid Relief and um, Economic Security Act, um, you know, the New CARES Act that was passed, that also includes additional changes uh, to further expand the availability and use of telehealth services. Um, so those are some examples they have on there that I think are um, very important for what you can do regulation-wise, as well as reimbursement. Also, there's a Quad AI telemedicine toolkit that I was lucky enough to work with some wonderful people on, and that has a lot of information. We completed it last year, so prior to the pandemic, but it just has good, useful information as far as ease of use, how to set up your clinic if you want to do telemedicine, um, HIPAA and security issues, requirements as well for technology and, and things like that on there. So it's also a wonderful resource. And then I would also um, have people look at the ATA website, which is um, the American Telemedicine Association website. It's kind of the national um, group for telemedicine. And that's at www.americantelemed.org. That's great. And I, you know, from my standpoint, the telemedicine toolkit that you and your colleagues put together is outstanding. It is just a comprehensive, well-designed, easy-to-navigate resource. It really is. Uh, And I would encourage anybody listening, we'll put links in the show notes as well. It's really easy to find, even if you just search it through any search engine, if you just put Quad AI telemedicine or telemedicine toolkit, you'll find it very easily. So thank you for doing that. It really is very helpful.
yeah, they everyone did a great job on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I want to be respectful of your time, and this has been an outstanding conversation, and, and thank you again for taking the time to join us today. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share before we depart? Um, I think I would just say that, you know, I always say telemedicine here is here, but it's really here now, and it's it's a great opportunity for our field, um, and it's, it's really necessary during this time um, to get started and pivot towards telemedicine. Um, not only for your patients, but even for your business if you're in private practice. Um, we're really lucky to even have this ability to continue to help our patients and still see patients during this unprecedented time. Well said. We're lucky to have this ability. I like that a lot. Dr. Shi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We hope today's episode was helpful please visit www.aaaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.